0: From coast to coast to coast, you're listening to Terra Informa. Hello and welcome to the show. My name is Hannah Cunningham and I'll be your host for the next half hour of environmental news. I would like to begin this episode by acknowledging that Terra Informa is a production of CJSR 88.5 FM, a campus and community recording studio located in Edmonton, Alberta. We are situated on Treaty 6, the historic and present territory of Cree, Métis, Blackfoot, Dene, and many other First Peoples that live and gather here. While you listen to this week's episode, Consider your connection to this land, the connections of those that came before you, and the connections of those that will come after. Climate change is one of the biggest threats to human society and the natural world. So why don't we see it in the headlines every day? A few weeks ago, I got on the phone with Sean Holman and Dr. Joe Vipond to have a discussion about the climate crisis and how the media is reporting on it. John Holman is an associate professor of journalism at Mount Royal University and a freedom of information researcher. Dr. Joe Vipond is an emergency physician as well as a co-chair of the Calgary Climate Hub, a volunteer-run nonprofit organization. To give a little bit of context, this conversation took place back in September, on the afternoon before a panel discussion on the topic of what responsible media coverage of the climate crisis looks like took place in Calgary. The panel discussion was hosted by the Calgary Climate Hub and Sean Holman was one of the featured speakers. Additionally, later on in early October, Sean Holman would travel up to Edmonton to speak at the city's Change for Climate Talks event. Now let's listen in to the conversation between myself, Dr. Joe Vipond and Sean Holman.
1: So my name is Sean Holman. I'm a journalism professor at Mount Royal University. And before that, I was an investigative journalist in British Columbia for about 10 years where I focused on government corruption. And quite surprisingly to me, I am now an advocate for the news media covering the climate crisis with the urgency that I think it demands.
2: Uh, I'm a, a an emergency doctor, based out of Calgary. I work at uh, the Foothills Medical Center and the Rocky View Hospital, and um, I was very involved in the uh, Alberta coal phase out and then the subsequent uh, Canadian coal phase out. More recently, I've really started to focus on um, basically creating the societal change that we need to 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 avert the crisis. Um, and in doing so, I'm the co-chair of the Calgary Climate Hub, as well as a board member of the Canadian Association of Physicians for the Environment and their Alberta Regional Chair.
0: Some different backgrounds, which is cool.
2: <laughs> which uh, I think it's worth mentioning. It's, it's so sad that we are traveling up to Edmonton to participate at a government-sponsored municipal climate uh, event um, when we haven't really had that opportunity in our own hometown. So I'm hoping that that changes soon in Calgary.
1: I mean, it's a very stressful time, I think, in this province, right? Um, We are confronted with a government that appears to be, for all intents and purposes, intent on waging what they've actually described as a war on climate truth. And I don't think that really serves the public very well. And I think it certainly doesn't serve Alberta very well. We are in a province that is the largest producer of greenhouse gases in the country. And that's because we're the heart of the country's oil and gas industry. So it's really vitally important for us in this province to be having tough talks about what climate change means for the future of that industry and for the future of everyone who lives here. And we can't pretend that this isn't going to have an impact. We can't pretend that the oil and gas industry will go on as it always has. And we can't pretend that major changes aren't going to be necessary in our society. And I think it's the responsibility of government to try to provide some degree of certainty to try to provide some degree of support, to try to provide some degree of control for those people who are really threatened by this change and feel threatened by this change and rightly feel that way. So I think this is a really big missed opportunity um, on the part of the provincial government right now. And I think it's uh, a major opportunity for the media in this province to be talking a lot more than it does about climate change and what it means for Alberta.
2: I liken it to a wave coming. So there's mm-hmm. this geopolitical wave that's that's enveloping us as, as the whole world starts to recognize the threats that, that the climate crisis entails. And they're all ready to start moving on this. And, and we are standing in front of this wave saying, thou shall not pass, and generally, that's not a good strategy when a wave is coming because you just get enveloped by the wave. The right strategy, in my mind, is to try and ride the wave. Try and figure out how to, you know, adjust yourself so that uh, so that the the wave takes you rather than subsumes you. Um, I don't think we're gonna. I don't think we're gonna win this one.
0: Part of the, I'm pretty sure. Correct me if I'm wrong. The uh, lecture you'll be giving um, at the event tonight, and then maybe on. Um, in October in Edmonton is I think sort of um, centered around a, an article you wrote for the Tai back in, back in May. In this article you um, call out some of these failures of the media in their coverage of the climate crisis whether it's just failing to cover it at all um, or failing to provide like, localized and contextualized climate change coverage so I guess I wanted to ask the both of you um, can you talk about why you think these failures are so detrimental and how they're impacting we as a province or we as a country are, are facing or dealing with this, this wave that is the climate crisis?
1: Well, I think let's first talk about why we value the information, the truthful information that the media is supposed to be supplying to us. And there's really two reasons in our society. The first is control. So the idea that if we have truthful information, then we can make better decisions in our society. And specifically, we can make better decisions about our corporations and our governments, allowing us to control them with our voices, votes, and dollars. So that's one reason why truthful information is valuable. The second reason why truthful information is valuable is it provides us with a feeling of certainty about what has happened in the past, what is happening in the present, and what will happen in the future. And if we can use that information to help control what's going to happen in the future, that's also going to give us a lot of certainty. So the problem is is that media is failing in those two respects when it comes to covering the climate crisis. So on the first score, it's actually failing to provide us with the information that we need to control our public institutions and private institutions by making better decisions about them. A really good example was the wildfire coverage from last summer. A lot of that wildfire coverage never even mentioned that there was a demonstrable connection between the wildfires that we saw in British Columbia and the smoke that was drifting into Alberta and the climate crisis. And as a result, there were many Albertans who may have never known uh, about that particular connection and would have been then unable to make a better decision about what that meant for their future, whether or not that was who to vote for in the provincial election that was uh, soon after, or whether or not it's something as simple as saving up money to buy an air purifier in the future because we're going to be seeing a lot more of this kind of smoke in both Calgary and in Edmonton and across uh, the Western North America. Um, so that's that's a real Big problem. And then the other thing we're not doing is we're, we're not really um, providing certainty either. And in a disaster, and this is a disaster, uh, the news media often tells the public what they should do to keep themselves safe. You know, so for example, again, when it came to the wildfire smoke, media would remind the public regularly to stay indoors because that would help. But we're not doing that same thing when it comes to the climate crisis overall. Um, We're not providing those day-to-day recommendations on how we can change our lives to forestall the terrible future that is ahead of us. Uh, Things like, for example, giving up eating meat, giving up driving cars, giving up plane travel. These things can actually have a major effect. And the news media is not, telling the public about those things as often as they should.
0: So what do you, why do you think that some of these, these failures of climate reporting are so prevalent? Like, is it that it's too depressing? Um, <laughs> the, is the science too technical to try and explain to people? Is it too, people see it as too political? Um, do they want to avoid this? Because like, like you said, I, I agree. I think it should be a front page story every day. But if you're a news reporter, are you going to be trying getting like new headlines every day? Or are you going to talk about climate change every single day? I, I think
2: we need to look a little bit at the history behind the understanding of climate science. If you go back to the early 90s, around, right around the Rio de Janeiro Earth Summit, there was a real sense that the world was waking up to this and was going to act on this knowledge of climate change was uh, the climate crisis was was high um and there was a real feel that things were going to be moving forward in fact it's maybe little known but george h w bush the first bush president actually campaigned on climate action and once That's he right. got into power he was convinced by people institutions that he should not do so right around that time I think the fossil fuel industry woke up to the fact that they were in trouble. And there was a concerted misinformation campaign that was started to obfuscate especially the certainty of the science. Not that there wasn't science there, but how certain is this? And do we really want to act forcefully on science that's not 100% certain? Why would you put all this investment in? acting on something that might not even be real, even though at that point, the science was pretty solid. People really knew it. But if we can can inflate the uncertainty, we will decrease the risk that people will act on it. And they won. They actually did a very successful campaign with millions and millions of dollars. And lots of well-known oil companies are um, and, and coal companies are, are linked to this campaign. There's a great book called "The Merchants of Doubt" that uh, I highly recommend, and a movie for that matter.
1: Yeah, and I think you're also right though as well that this is a political issue, and that's partially why the media is having such trouble with it.
2: So, yeah, but it was made political by this. Like yes. George H.W. Bush wasn't exactly a left-lefty. Neither right. was. Um, Oh, um, the Iron Lady, Margaret Thatcher, who was also uh, very much acting on this, and Brian Mulroney. Um, You know, these were all conservative leaders who were willing to move forward on this, and they were stymied by uh, a campaign against it. So yes, a- absolutely. Poli- is it a political thing, or was it made political?
1: It's a political thing because reporters feel it is. Uh, the challenge that I think a lot of journalists are having right now is because there is a large swath of society that either doesn't believe in the science of climate change or is skeptical of um, of the science of climate change, that they feel that this is a contentious issue when in actuality it's not. And uh, journalists like to appear to be unbiased. They like to appear to be objective, but by telling the truth about climate change, they can appear to be biased and not objective to a large portion of their audience. So I think that's why journalists are having a challenge right now when it comes to covering this particular issue. They're forgetting that our primary mission as members of the media is to tell the truth, regardless of how people may feel about that. So I think we're getting lost in this secondary value of appearing unbiased and appearing objective. And we want to do that because we want to maintain access and audience. But what is more important is this first priority, which is telling the truth.
2: And we, uh, Sean and I had a really uh, great conversation with, uh, a media organization who I'm going to remain unnamed. One of the things that they pointed out was that they've written some hard-hitting articles on climate sciences, in particular linking the the fires up in, in Fort McMurray to climate um, and, and the, the flood follow-up here in Calgary. Um, and one of the things that they said was that they're just not getting uptake on this. Like they they measure their <laughs> impact on clicks and mm. they got two clicks on these stories. Um, I think that's part of the issue is that this is, Corporate media, and they earn money based on how many eyes see their stories. And um, because this uh, topic isn't at the forefront of everybody's mind, it's deemed harder to sell to the public. And and that's an unfortunate consequence of of the way our media is structured, which is you know pay per click.
0: Like I was thinking about this this like un, unbiased, balanced reporting thing, and. When it comes to climate science supporters feeling this need to represent both sides of the climate change debate and especially when it's when it comes to the scientific part the one side is this group of thousands of peer-reviewed scientists that are on board with yep Anthropogenic climate change is definitely a thing, and then the other side it's this much smaller group saying that they're not sure or that it's definitely not human caused. Does this perceived need or need, I guess to really aim for balanced reporting and giving both sides their fair share? Does this kind of create like a an idea for readers or listeners that there's really a lot more scientific uncertainty? about climate change than there is?
1: Yeah, absolutely. And and a lot of responsible media organizations have decided that they are simply not going to include the voices of climate change deniers um, and climate change skeptics as part of their coverage. Um, and if they do, it's only... Um, when they ensure that the audience is well aware that such skepticism and such denial is unfounded. Uh, Media organizations like the Los Angeles Times and the BBC and The Conversation have all taken steps to do that. And that's warranted. I mean, for example, most mainstream news organizations these days would never give a platform to a anti-vaccine advocate, um, because that's simply not a truthful position. And yet, uh, there are news organizations around the world who still do give voice to climate science deniers and skeptics, even though we have long since reached the point of certainty on that particular issue. It's really unconscionable in my view, because what we're talking about here is a phenomena um, that is by 2050 going to result in a billion people displaced, 250,000 deaths as a result of malnutrition alone, not to mention putting a million species around the world at risk and creating a situation where large swaths of the world are going to be subject to temperatures that are outside the limits of human tolerance. This is a disaster. Mm -hmm. This is a disaster. And uh, the fact that the media isn't being straight, with the public or at least not enough of the media is being straight with the public about that is a tragedy of our time. And absolutely, there um, is a risk in some media organizations of control from uh, owners and management that do not like this kind of coverage and would prefer to not see aggressive coverage on the climate uh, file. Um, but that said, sometimes that is a bit overstated. It does happen. Does it happen as much as the people who suspect it is happening think? Um, probably not. Um, I have, though, seen it during the course of my career as an investigative journalist. I've even reported on it.
2: I feel so threatened by this issue that uh, I'm kind of in a you know Hail Mary pass, okay? So I might... I might get in trouble for standing up. I might get in trouble for speaking him out. I, I could still, you know, theoretically lose my job for, because of my activism.
1: Yeah, um, so fortunately,
2: could act- Yeah, fortunately, I haven't haven't had any of that happen. But, you know, when when everything is at stake, like literally everything is at stake, isn't now the time to stand up like, and take those risks? Because the consequences of failing are so immense. Uh, yeah, that, yeah you know, absolutely. I think people yeah. are now at the point where, they're going to be ready to lie in front of bulldozers and be ready to go to jail, um, you know. Uh, and and our journalists should be feeling those same threats and be be pushing their their bosses for their for their organizations to do a better job. I don't know,
1: but but I think the thing is is that <laughs> challenge. I think is is that bravery and courage is a rare quality. That's a hard ask, mm-hmm. right? It's a hard ask to put your life on the line, to put your job on the line, to put your livelihood on the line. Um, those are hard asks. Um, I think they're reasonable asks within the situation that we find ourselves in, but we shouldn't dismiss how difficult that ask is. Um, mm-hmm. And most people are not in the relatively privileged situation that you know, Joe and I find ourselves in. I'm a tenured professor at a university. Um, And that affords me a significant degree of job security that would not be afforded to other members of society. Am I taking a risk by speaking now? Sure, I think so, right? Um, But am I taking as much risk as someone who is working for post-media? No, I'm not. I don't think. Um, I would like to think. And, you know, my university has been supportive of the uh, work that I've been doing. I couldn't ask for more. So we'll see um, what happens. Um, it's a difficult it's a difficult ask. It is a difficult ask. I think the other thing that's also important to consider is, um for those of us who are concerned about the issue, I, I think it's also important to keep in mind, um, and to be empathetic to those who don't believe in climate change, who are climate change skeptics and who are climate change deniers. Because behind that denial and behind that skepticism is an enormous amount of fear. Mm -hmm. Um, This whole entire discussion threatens entire ways of life. Um, And that's a real problem. That's a real problem. And to deny that problem and to deny that feeling Um, on our part, is to also create a situation where we risk, and this is the situation we're at right now, a schism in our society. What we really should be doing is coming together on this particular issue. We should be trying to resolve those feelings of fear. We should be speaking to those feelings of fear. And we should be taking action to address those feelings of fear. And the media needs to be doing that as well. We need to be showing what the future looks like if we do take action on this particular issue. Because we should. And we need to show how that is not fearful for people. Um, and how their concerns can be addressed. And again, because we're not having that kind of honest conversation in our society, all of us are losing.
2: it's 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 true to acknowledge the resistance that that's coming from a, a place of fear. But I think that that those people um, aren't aware of how bad it's going to get unless we do something pretty quick
1: and i share that big sigh joe (laughs) (laughs) it is it is a challenge it is a really challenging issue right um you know and how do you reach those people um when time is running short um when we don't really um have as much time as we would like to bring people along because we have delayed for so long Mm -hmm. and because some people have delayed um and obfuscated for uh, less than um, charitable purposes, Um, and that's putting it politely. Um, But we do have to recognize that there is an entire self-perpetuating propaganda machine Mm -hmm. on the right that is designed to undermine um, the truth of this issue and provide comfort, um, certainty, and control to those people who would rather not believe and oftentimes for good reason um, that climate change is not happening and how do we deal with that? how do we deal with that portion of the public and that's a really tough question that I think I think we need to and there's my side figure out an answer to.
2: this is not going to be a a short uh, fight, but I think it's really important to underline how, how important it is. Like this is, we're, we're fighting for beauty. We're fighting for love. We're fighting for um, all the things that we deeply care about. It's going to be such, even though it's going to be a long and hard fight, it's going to be so, um, so valuable. You know, we, we get to be a part of, of, defining the future of the world. And that's a real privilege. Um, and
1: and what is at risk here um, is not just ourselves, not just our future generations, not just every other species that we share this planet with. We're also talking about a phenomena that could eradicate millions of years of evolution and civilization. And think about it, all the generations that came before us, everything that they struggled to build, everything that they did, all of their history, all of their successes lost. We have not just a duty to future generations, we have a duty to past generations here. And I think that's important to keep in mind too.
2: I, I think we're going to um, we're going to to do a good job of mitigating this crisis, but it's going to take everybody, and we're going to need to binge watch a lot less. <laughs> we're going to need to to get out there and starting to 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 treat this like you know September nineteen thirty nine. Now is the time for sacrifice. Now is the time for for duty and for. Um, you know citizen action and uh, and it's got to be everybody like it's going to be so hard to win this with the few tens of thousands or hundreds of thousands of people working on this now but it's not going to be hard if we have billions um, and so now we have to start working on those billions
0: well thank you guys so much this was a lot of things to think about and digest, and yeah, you guys have both been awesome. So thank you so much for taking the well,
2: thank, time. I know you're both. Thanks for the, to the opportunity to, to to share our thoughts. Thank you.
1: All right, I gotta go. Uh, I gotta go teach a class.
0: That was an interview done by myself, Hannah Cunningham where I was speaking with Dr. Joe Vipond and Sean Holman. That's all the time we have for this week. Thank you to our volunteers, Carter Gorzitsa, Elizabeth Dowdell, and Charlie Blay for creating this week's episode. Terra Informa is entirely volunteer run, and we survive because of generous donations to our host studio, CGSR 88.5 FM. Next week is CGSR's annual fund drive, so get ready to show us some love and help us keep stories like this on the air. The fun drive theme this year is homegrown radio, and we are so excited to bring our Edmonton listeners an extra spooky Halloween week fun drive special that we promise will creep right through your speakers to take root in the compost that feeds your most delicious nightmares. Out of town listeners, never fear or rather do fear. That dark delight will be haunting your airwaves the very next week. I've been your host, Hannah Cunningham. Thank you so much for tuning in. Catch us next week right here on Terra Informa.